Okay, are there any British people that can confirm this for me? Because I've been here for like 11 years. Has it ever... I'm recording this. What is it? What is the day? What is the life? I don't know. I'm happy for showers. I'm happy for showers. That's the stage of quarantine I'm at. 8th of February. Like, there's a proper, like, layer of snow. I have not witnessed this for at least 8-9 years. Like, ever since I was 16, 17, like, when I first came to the UK... When I was in Oxford doing, like, baccalaureate, I swear I have not witnessed, like, a layer of snow actually, you know, catch on and, like, stay on the ground. It's fucking bitching cold and it's February. Like, the spring and sunshine is the only thing I'm looking forward to in life. I do not like it. I like snow, but it belongs to, like, December, okay? January at best. The fuck is this shit? So, hey. Hi, welcome. This is a mini-sode. It's by all means necessary. And my name is Maya. I'm at the stage of quarantine when I profusely enjoy showers and I shower like twice a day for half an hour for no fucking reason, just to have some joy in life. I also enjoy walks, so today I will probably not because it will be like a slippery fucking slope outside. I also enjoy researching true crime and morbid cases like girls in the boxes. <laughs> That's what I have been bringing you in the form of minisodes this month. This second case is equally fucked up. There is even maybe more details to this, so let's just dive in and try to make it not a full fucking episode. And I thought it would be morbid enough to start off within a box. So imagine, it's December, cold as fuck as it is right now outside, 1968. You're in the shoes of Barbara Meckel, who was inside of a wooden box. So this box was theoretically a coffin. A bit more spacious in height of a coffin, so that you have more breathing air. You've been drugged, you've been chloroformed, brought into that coffin, and you know that the kidnapper, because you were kind of lucid, you know the kidnappers have taken a picture of you, which is one of those famous true crime pictures online, where... You're just holding a piece of paper. They can see that you're still awake, but it's very obvious you're drugged. And you're holding a piece of paper that says kidnapped. Then you realize your kidnappers have taken that piece of paper, have closed the box behind you, have put the soil over you, and have basically buried you alive. So now, once you have woken up, you find this note next to you. This is some of that note. It says, Do not be alarmed. You are safe. You're presently inside a fiberglass reinforced plywood capsule buried beneath the ground near the house in which your kidnappers are staying. Literally, the, the grammar? There are no punctuations. There are no grammar. Everything is in caps. Your status will be checked approximately every two hours. The capsule is quite strong. You will not be able to break it open. Be advised, however, that you are beneath the water table. If you break open a seam, you would drown before we could dig you out. The capsule instrumentation contains a water-sensitive switch, which will warn us if the water enters the capsule to a dangerous degree. Your life depends on the air delivered to your chamber via the ventilation fan. This fan is powered by a lead-acid storage battery capable of supplying the fan motor with power for 270 hours. A muffler has been placed in the air passage to prevent any noise you make from reaching the surface. If we detect any commotion which we feel is dangerous, we will introduce ether to the air intake and put you to sleep. The fan operates on 6 volts. It has a switch with two positions to switch between the two available circuits. Should one circuit fail, turn to the other. Then it proceeds to describe the same like voltage situation, energy situation with the pump and the light. 
and it says if you use the light continuously, your life expectancy will be cut to one third of the week we have allotted you before you're released. Your capsule contains a water jug with three gallons of water and a tube from which to drink it. Be careful to blow the water from the tube when you're finished drinking to avoid siphoning the water onto the floor when the tube end drops below the water level. Your capsule contains a bucket for refuse and the products of your bowel movements. The bucket has an antibacterial solution in it. Don't tip it over. The lid seals tightly to prevent the escape of odors. A roll of wax paper is provided. Use it to prevent solid waste from contaminating your bed. Blankets and a mat are provided. Your warmth depends on body heat, so regulate the air to prevent loss of heat from the capsule. A case of candy is provided to furnish energy to your body. Tranquilizers are provided to aid you in sleeping. The best way you have to pass the time. Okay, this is when I was like, okay, I have to insert something, you dickheads. <laughs> You're making this sound like it's a fucking hotel experience. It's like, we have provided you with blankets and mattress. And the best way to pass the time is to go for an adventure ride at an amusement park. The best way to pass the ride is fucking sleep in this box. Shut the fuck up. Don't tell me what to do. Like, my everything is limited here anyways. What else am I gonna do? Like, fucking freak myself out and shit for fun. Okay. Now they go to describe the ventilation system and how these protection screens are protecting her by being eaten by ants, which is... It's so detailed and graphic. Honestly, I cannot lie to you and say that if I was not the person reading this, I would not appreciate it to a certain degree if I was kidnapped, but would also be so overwhelmed, find it so technical and be like, just, just don't touch anything. Like, what do I do? Like, there's so many instructions here and like everything. If I fuck up one thing, I'm like reducing the time that I can be here alive. Then they describe there the electrical components components behind the screens that are delicate and they shouldn't be touched because it's electrical circuits. We assure your father will pay the ransom we had asked in less than one week. When your father pays the ransom, we will tell him where you are and he'll come for you. Should he fail to pay, we will release you, so be calm and rest. You'll be home for Christmas one way or the other. A few more things when it comes to the ransom note. When I first read this, I thought, okay, this guy definitely knows his wood and what he can do with it. That sounded wrong. I'll, I'll take that back. He might have had like a job, you know, as an electrician, plumber, maybe, yes, woodworker as well, like something to do with installations of things. Something to do with installations, something to do with maybe providing ventilation system, maybe to do with electricity, maybe to do with plumbing. And he wants her alive. He actually wants her to survive one way or the other. So how did we get here? So what Barbara has read on her note was correct. The ransom has been set and her kidnapper demanded half a million dollars in ransom, which would be about like 3.5 million today. The first attempt at the ransom drop was disrupted because the two policemen drove by the place. However, this spooked him and he fled on foot. So with a bit of digging of the location, the FBI found the car that he was using. There wasn't actually one kidnapper but two, there were like a couple. Let me know after this case if you want me to spend more time researching on the female part of that couple because apparently she was on the FBI most wanted list and she is a character in herself. Inside this car, this guy left a car registration in the name of George Deacon. 
And while they're looking into the George Deacon situation and who that guy was, two days later, Barbara's father receives another call, telling him, okay, let's do this all over again. We were spooked the last time. And they said this time what you do is, you know, you do the contact-free delivery, right? So you leave the fucking... You leave the whole bag of money and you drive off. And the dad is like, fuck me, like, I need my daughter back. So he does that. But this didn't go as planned either because a neighbor who was hearing noises, this is like the Balkans CCTV by neighbors. They're looking, they're like, what is this? It is the noise we have not heard before. It is the noise of a money drop. So they called the police. And the police comes to the place and it's like in some fucking movie. They see two people like slowly moving through the woods, you know, like cartoon fucking characters approaching the drop-off. So obviously these police officers are like, okay, great, great, great. They approach and they try to leg it and hunt them down. But these two fuckers were too fast. They just fuck off. They're like, better save ourselves. By that point, the FBI knew who they were looking for, so they traced the George Deacon to the University of Miami, and this is where they realized this guy built ventilated boxes for a living. Explain to me what a ventilated box is. Like, is that the prior version? Is that how they called air cons? Because uh, a ventilated box, what other things do you use ventilated boxes for? If it's not literally for every single kidnapped girl in a box situation, or truly it is aircon, there's no, there's, it's one or the other. What other things do you have, need to have ventilated boxes for? So Deacon's boss is like, yeah, you know how he builds these fucking boxes for kidnapped people? Yeah, and that's our business and that's legitimate. Yeah, he was also kind of dating, seeing this woman that's called Ruth Eisenman Shear. And she also worked at the university. At the same time, they get a call from another nosy neighbor that is like, hey, yeah, I find this like trailer here and it's kind of abandoned and, um, you know, we want to come check it out. And well, why the FBI was alerted? Because the police found documents for George Deacon inside that trailer as well. And this is where they found the letters addressed to both George Deacon and Gary Christ. And this Gary Christ guy was the escapee from a prison since 1966 at the time. And the FBI like compares the prints and they're like, oh, this is this is the same guy. He's using a fake name because uh, he escaped the prison, so he can't use the the, the full name. You know, <laughs> you know how they used to scam us? They just change the name on top of the head. They don't even have to have IDs, and people just believe them. Yeah, that part. So now we have FBI on the right trail. The police officers chasing with these people in the forest and probably trying to track them down. And just the sheer panic that I am getting just by thinking of Barbara in that box, knowing that they're checking up on her probably every two hours, and then suddenly feeling complete silence. She's just there, completely alone by herself, just trying to rely on the kidnapper's promise that she is going to be back home by Christmas. So December 20th, Chris calls the switchboard operator of the FBI and he tells them where she is. So the FBI sets base in Lawrenceville and they put 100 agents on the scene. They spread around and they try to dig the ground with their hands with anything they could find to use. And on the morning of December 20th, after being underground for 83 hours, she was located. 
And Barbara came out of the box. <laughs> From what I read, I read it only in one source. So I didn't like properly write it down. Barbara like literally came out of the box and she's like, it's fine. Like I'm unharmed, all that. And then like, because she was so happy that she was released, she told to the person that was like releasing her and taking her out of the box, like, you're the prettiest man I have ever seen. <laughs> Something along those lines. And I was like, yeah, that would be me. I'd be like, oh my God, I will get dick again. That would literally be my fault. I'd be like, I can shit on the toilet again. I can get dick again. It's small things in life, okay? <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's like the way you're undermining the fact that she has been 83 hours in a box, bitch. But, I mean, wherever, whenever, those would be my thoughts. Okay. 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 <laughs> inappropriate levels are just there. They're there. So now in the classic Maya Bam style, let's not tell you what actually happened, like the, the sentences that they have gotten. Let's go back in time to the crime and the police realizing how did they actually target Barbara in the first place? How did they get to actually kidnap her? For that, we need to know a bit about Barbara Mackle's family. So these guys were filthy rich. The, there were three brothers, so her dad had two other brothers, and they were dominating Florida development world, so they were in construction. And by 1969, they were the owners of a $65 million empire. So her dad, Robert Meckel, was actually a millionaire who, with his two brothers, owned the company called Deltona Corporation that was one of the biggest home-building companies in the U.S. And he was just, you know, best buddies with the president, completely chill, relaxed. I mean, everybody's best friends with the president in their head. So, like, how many people are best friends with the new vice president right now in the U.S.? Well, this guy was the best friend of President Richard Nixon. It says good friend, but I, you know, I exaggerate. <laughs> that I put in the script while on the other side of the world Gary exists. You please contact me at deadbampodsocials or podbam at gmail.com. If you can name the child Gary in the past like five years, I want to talk to you. <laughs> I have a word. I want to have a word. I want to understand how your brain works and why does it work like that. The only way I could explain it is if, you know, like Gary is like all of the names in your family, like you have Gary Senior, Gary Jr. Even then, I'm sorry, I, I can't, I just can't explain it. Unless there is like insane emotional connection. No, even then, I would, I like, imagine you're holding a baby Gary and you're like, you disgust me. Because you should be a 50-year-old man that's kidnapping a fucking girl and putting her in a box. You disgust me. Okay, sorry Gary's out there. So Gary Stephen Christ regarded himself as the Einstein of crime. <laughs> this is when I was like, okay I, okay, I like this case. Because this is the first line that I have read before even diving in. Which from everything that I'm going to tell you today, and from what you know already from that note that Barbara was reading inside that box, um, I think, yes, he was intelligent to a certain degree, and he put a lot of effort into things, but then you know, he could have been the Einstein, but he put it into crime. And that, that was the mistake part of it. Because that, that was the legal part of it. You see? So yes, he might be the Einstein of true crime. But still, the profession, the industry that he has chosen won't be very lucrative because it's illegal. You, you get me. You, you understand where I'm coming from. What I put in the script is, these criminals always have more ambition than me. And this is what I put it into. <laughs> I see the silver lining in everything. Like, this is why it's great. I'm not ambitious. Maybe I would be putting it into wrong things. Yeah. 
Yeah, you tell them you you get on somebody's radar, Maya. Like your Google searches aren't fucking alarming enough. You fucking dig your own grave right now. Okay, so um, Einstein had a theory of relativity. Christ uh, had criminal accomplishments that were diverse. It wasn't just one thing. Couldn't focus. Man couldn't focus on one thing. So it was a vast array of offenses: stealing cars, kidnapping fraud, and by the end of this story, he would have smuggled cocaine illegally. How else do you smuggle cocaine illegally, Maya? <laughs> it's not like weed in certain countries. Coke is not. I mean, people used to sell it for a drink, so you get me. As if that wasn't enough, illegal immigrant smuggling. Already by the age of nine, he had the reputation as a thief. He would steal anything, coins, tools, and candy, even if he didn't need it. Of course, then, from coins and candy, suddenly you realize you are of legal age to drive, so you escalate to stealing cars. If this was to read as his CV, what he could put on it that would really make him stand out with all of his employees is that by the age of 18, he was incarcerated in three different states. Criminals from the UK are really jealous at these accomplishments. So we know he was imprisoned multiple times, and he managed to escape from this prison and then lived under a different name. While working at two different unis. You truly could be whoever you want to be in the old days. Like, you don't even have to legally change your name or nothing. You can just invent the coolest name. Or usually in these cases, every single time they would go for something super dumb. And you still manage to get a job at, like, governmental organizations that should be checking your ID and criminal records. In his memoir, named Life, worst name for autobiography, just like, how do you stand out? Listen, they didn't know in, like, the 60s and 70s, but they, they should have known. <laughs> if you name a fucking memoir Life, like, who are you? Like, even, even the fucking Obamas didn't name their memoirs Life because that's not what stands out. That's not also, it kind of sounds like it's gonna be bland because if it's just life, if you're not giving any message in that fucking title, it doesn't sound like you have much to say. He spoke about this period and said he spent weeks in Miami Public Library checking different social registers and newspaper clippings to find a new target. He went proper stalking mode. He wanted to commit perfect crime, perfect kidnapping. So he narrowed it down to 100 possible victims and then narrowed it further to 10. Then somehow managed to eliminate everybody else until one name was left on that list. What this reminded me of, has anybody else binged and obsessed with criminal minds? He's doing like the reverse thing. You know how they profile criminals? He's profiling victims. He's doing like reverse victimology with Barbara. And also how much content, like why did nobody realize all the way up until like internet was born, how much content of people was just left in, like, libraries, in public pages, yellow pages, yellow pages literally give you, like, phone numbers of anybody in the universe, like, what the fuck, why? <laughs> yellow pages were stalker one-on-one, -on -one, but this was so unnecessary. Around this time, he met Ruth, his partner, the FBI most wanted, that bitch, yeah, and they would build this underground capsule under this trailer that they had at the University of Miami. And this is where they would get rid of like their IDs and possessions. So once they have done that, they take this trailer and leave like all of these possessions behind because they have planned a perfect crime in their head. And they go in the middle of this forest where later Barbara will be found and they start digging. In comparison, it seems like it was easier for him to track Barbara Meckel from these like yellow pages and shit. 
didn't anything else. Everything else seemed to have like some planning and some work put into it. So Barbara, then 20 years of age, was studying at the Emory University. She was sick with the Hong Kong flu and her mother had driven to take care of her. So Barbara and her mom go to isolate in this hotel. I mean, we are very familiar with this state of like isolation and UK currently is is going mad when it comes to like people coming in and then having to isolate in hotel if they're coming from like South Africa or like a red list of countries. I never thought something called a red list would be anything, I don't know, for me it sounds like it should be something sexual, okay, and not like a list of banned countries that you shouldn't go to during coronavirus. Back to the story. Chris got this address because he posed as the scholarship investigator at her union. So he went, like, inquired about Barbara, who's like, listen, like, I mean, we are thinking of offering her, like, a scholarship. Fuck me if I know. He goes to the admissions office and he's like, okay, so which dormitory is she staying at? And I don't know, he didn't seem like a creep, so they just gave him the dormitory. So he goes to the dormitory and this doormate, again, no red flags, sees no red flags whatsoever, and just tells Chris that, hey, yeah, she's actually staying, you know, isolating at this motel with her mom, (laughs) you know, go check it out. So he does. So, of course, when you give stalkers some information, they turn into that guy from you and Gossip Girl, and they go into full-on stalking mode. So he staked out the hotel, staked out this motel, until... He figured out from, like, the windows and, like, where they're going once they walk in. So fucking creepy. Which room she's staying in? And he realized she's staying in the room 137. So these two fuckers decide to pose as police officers and just knock on the door. Okay, I didn't research into Ruth's life, but take one look at her, one simple glance, and tell me, tell me in all honesty that you can say that she was into men. Like, you, you have a look at her, and then you tell me that, like, she, she digs, you know, that she is into dicks. No. You don't, you don't get that vibe, do you? Because I did not. That haircut in itself just doesn't, just does not give me that vibe. He gives me a vibe of a cult leader. So, yeah, those two fuckers, now that I have described them, are at the door of this motel and the mother jane opens the door and they tell her like they're the police officers and they need to inform barbara that her good friend stuart woodward has been in a car accident like this is the degree to which they stalk this poor girl that they knew the names of the people surrounding her as well so the two of them obviously break in one of them knocks her mom out and then the other one takes barbara and knocks her out with chloroform And this is when they bring her into the forest, into the location and the contraption that they have already made. This box was located 20 miles from her home and it was buried two feet underground. This is when Chris took a photograph of her lying down with the handwritten note like in her arms, reading kidnapped. And that is to be used as ransom note, as a proof of life. And then they shoveled two feet of mud on top of the box and buried her alive. And she is going to remain there for the next three days. This is when they rang the Meckles home and they told them that, you know, the demand is half a million, but they had two additional demands. So the ransom is to be put in a single suitcase and the father was to come alone. If he agreed to the terms, he was to put a classified ad in the Miami Herald. The ad was to read... Loved one, please come home. We will pay all expenses and meet you anywhere at any time. This is when he's getting off on it. 
Nobody's gonna read this and be like, expenses is actually ransom. He's probably getting off on it, buying these newspapers, be like, yeah, he did it. You get it, because his partner doesn't, isn't actually into dicks. <laughs> she's probably haunting me from the dead issue. Maybe she's still alive. Hey, Ruth, how are you doing, girl? You finally discovered you were lesbian, just from the one glance that I had at you. Listen, if you haven't, maybe there's still time. Maybe you're dead. I'm not looking you up, girl. While the ransom handover is getting arranged, Barbara, um, she recalled these moments in her book, 83 Hours Till Dawn. The sound of the dirt got farther and farther away. Finally, I couldn't hear anything above. I screamed for a long time after that. Because of that note, like it kind of gave her hope that she will be back home for Christmas. So she survived by staying in that state of mind, thinking about enjoying Christmas with her family once again. You know, when it comes to these kidnappings, I put myself like, I'm fascinating. I listen to everything that Parkhurst had on that episode, Hostage. I'm fascinated by any case of, yeah, girl in the box. Anything to do with hostage situations, because I just want to know how I would survive and what did other people do to deal with it. So yeah, I'm just interested in like survivors, hostage stories. It's fascination. It's it's not healthy. So for me personally, reading this, obviously because my imagination goes wild, and I'm picturing like what would I do, and at least you know <laughs> the first thing that I mentioned when it came to girl in the box, I was like, where is she pissing and shitting? Like she doesn't go to the toilet enough times during the day. So here I'm like, okay, at least she has like some contraption. I don't understand how or where, but at least you know she's like re- relieving herself. For me, in this particular case would be. Everything, yes, because you're confined, you're like, you know, muscular atrophy, you're in a fucking box. But you wouldn't even be going to sleep because you have so many drugs surrounding you. It would be the part when you get up and you realize you are stuck in a box. Yeah, that would be the part that would be like, okay, I'm still here. Christmas is coming. Somebody gotta do something. So we are picking up in the aftermath of all of it. Barbara has been saved and she's gonna go on and write a book and live her best life. So by the daybreak on the next day, Chris covered actually more than 100 miles. He basically found an escape. Obviously, he had an escape plan and he took a boat. However, because this guy is finally, his luck is fucking running out because, hey, if you move on from car thefts uh, to kidnappings, to both thefts, yeah, maybe, you know, stay in your niche, like, stay in your zone, become an expert in something, that's where you're not really the Einstein of crime. He was, like, really an expert in his subject, and you just don't know how to get out of the boat situation now, idiot. So this guy at, like, these, I don't know what's it called, let's call it boat customs, you know, where they check your papers, um, got suspicious because Chris didn't have, like, any registration paperwork. However, he still, like, lets him through, but then he's, like, had that gut feeling that, like, something was wrong here. It didn't seem like this guy was really familiar with his boat, the area, anything. And he radios back to the locks and learns that there was, yeah, the guy with the same story at the other stop as well. He calls the authorities and he's like, I might have your man. Like, I know you are on the hunt. Like, I've heard it on the radio. You're on the hunt for this guy named Chris. Like, it might be him. So the authorities sent a helicopter, the armada of police boats, and this fucking guy was like, this is like some prison break shit, because this guy was like, no, full-on action, movie shit. I don't know how they're not movies made on this, I haven't seen like any. 
So the police is honing in on him. The helicopter is above. They know where he is. He's on this hog island. And he finds the ground. And then they surround the ground. And he spent 12 hours just running through this jungle trying to find, like, another escape route. And apparently, because he's probably delusional and, like, dehydrated and tired as shit and sleep-deprived at this point, when the police officers got him and finally arrested him, he, the first words he said were, I have rights. This is when, as a police officer, I would totally be a smartest. I'd be like, yeah, you have the right to remain silent. Boom. Dumbest fucking comeback. Worth it. It's your fault. You got yourself here. This is how we are here. This is why we reached this comeback. Because you got yourself into this problem. You caused it by what you just said. And they managed to find 17,000 in his pockets and another 480,000 on the boat. And as for Ruth, of course, she was smarter than this. She did not follow through. I don't know what her escape route was. But she was arrested in Oklahoma months later. Literally, they put all the focus on this guy. And Ruth was like, yeah, fuck it, bitch. I'm gonna go get some pussy. (laughs) She served four years in prison and was then deported to Honduras, which was apparently her home country. And she was the first woman of the FBI's 10 most wanted list. Now that they have Christ in custody, he said he was looking for a rich, tough-minded female. Just as I said, he is profiling a victim in this case. Like, you did not study this. You're a small criminal from the early age. What are you doing? (laughs) What kind of reverse psychology is this that you're like, no, 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 she will withstand it. She will survive. And by her surviving, I'm increasing my chances of freedom. Every fucking episode, I'm like, why didn't you put this much effort into actually something smart? Like, why? It's like such a waste of effort. But what I'm also thinking about is he didn't just go for like hundreds and hundreds of names. He probably saw the name, the last name rang a bell, and he realized like, oh, this is actually a famous person in construction, like this guy's best buds with the president. I'm going to kidnap his daughter because the chances of me getting a ransom from a rich family are a lot better than me just kidnapping somebody else on that list of 100 people. I don't even think this was some elaborate deduction where he was like going name by name and actually investigating this. I don't think this took him like more than 10 minutes. Prosecutors were actually arguing for the death penalty. But Barbara, because she's a better person than all of us can ever be, decided she shouldn't get death penalty because he eventually did call the police and the FBI and told them where she was saving her life. Again, better person that I will fucking ever be. In prison, he's the type of guy that you would probably hate with a passion if you were his, like, cellmate, because he's playing it, like, playing all good, being a model prisoner, just planning how to suck up to the probation officers. So, of course, it worked for the parole board, and this chairman, James T. Morris, noted that in the recommendation letter for Chris, that he was a leader, he was teaching inmates how to care for themselves, how to read and write, he was changing the motherfucking world. So, not just that he didn't serve his life sentence, he served only 10 years, and then was given a pardon. He was given a pardon, so that he could attend medical school, because that's logical. You graduate from one thing to the next. And he did. He went to medical school in Granada and Dominica. So I'm kind of thinking it's probably like some easier course, maybe like private schools or something. And he got his medical degree. But then obviously when he returned to like the US states, 
State of Alabama rejected him, however, Indiana Medical Licensing Board approved him in December 2001. And that's because they didn't prevent convicted felons from getting a medical license. I don't know. I don't know, fuckers. I'm all for rehab, I'm all for giving second chances and for letting them go back into the society. But a medical degree is a bit is pushing it a bit. He remained on indefinite probation and had to appear before the board every six months. So I guess they were checking up on him. And he was also required to submit a psychiatric evaluation and not to prescribe certain drugs. However, of course, 2006, it didn't take him long. He was practicing this for five years. Fuck knows how sketchily. He gets arrested on a sailboat. He's like, Listen, boats were my life. Like, I discovered this during a kidnapping experience that I've had. And my employers what my fucking CV was wild. Look at this guy. He was arrested off the coast of Alabama with 14 kilograms of coke. That is reportedly worth 1 million. Where did this guy get into coke business? He got 5 years for this and was released in November 2010. It doesn't end there. No. No. He just is a career criminal and is very happy to proceed with it. In 2012, he left the country without permission because he was still on his probation. And he sailed to Cuba in South America on his sailboat. Again, just take boats. Take boats away from him. So the judge sentenced him to 40 months imprisonment. And after that, you kind of lose his trail. I don't know what, I, I suspect that he has probably gotten himself into other shit, but uh, I don't have what this guy has done after 2012. The latest I could find is that he is now free and apparently hasn't been in prison since. Although I wouldn't know. Before I end this, I have to read you two things. One is to let you know what Barbara is up to, but second is to read you a paragraph out of Chris's book from 1972. I might lose you here. I'm not going to lie to you. This to me sounded like somebody was in the library tracking a dictionary because it's 1972 and he couldn't do the Google dictionary thing. And I was just founding synonyms for words and then putting them all in one sentence and making it not make sense because I have no idea what this paragraph is saying. But hey, Christ, from his book, Life, the man who kidnapped Barbara Jane Mackel, this is how he identifies, this is his selling point, it's a kidnapper book, okay? this is what it's about. Quote, I am reconciled to pay my social bill, okay, you, you sort of get it so far, and then maybe I can go out and live, if not in perfect amity, then perhaps within a square shooting truce that will lead to my repudiation of the hostile spirit down to its last vestige. End quote. What the fuck is he saying? <laughs> I started to get, and then, and then you lost me with the amity, repudiation, hostile spirit down to its last vestige. Somebody hit me up on the socials that Pod or podbamajima.com. Uh, is this like how people commonly communicate? <laughs> and it's just me not understanding English language because I don't think it is. I think it was in the library, just looking up words and like synonyms. That's a dictionary. You help me out, Oxford Dictionary. You know how you have special skills on your CV? You can put shit like waited for the legal age to learn how to steal cars, kidnapped a person. Savviet stealing boats, had a medical license once. What a pointless life. What a sad little life, Jane. <laughs> Truly, if there was ever the more appropriate time to use that um, 
If there was ever more appropriate time to use the reference from Come Dine With Me, that is such a mood. Anytime I need a laugh, I play that. What a sad little life, Jane. Oh my god. Enjoy the money. I hope it makes oh you very god. happy. Dear Lord, what a sad little life, Jane. You ruined my night completely so you could have the money, but I hope now you spend it on getting some lessons in grace and decorum because you have all the grace of a reversing dump truck without any tyres on. <laughs> But the other hand, Barbara didn't have any long-term negative effects from the event. And she was still described as peaceful, kind woman. She actually went ahead and married that best friend guy at the time, whose name was Stuart Woodward in 1971. And then they were married for 46 years until her death. I am sorry, I'm not crying because of this. I'm crying because of sad little life, Jane. <laughs> Uh, it always gets me because I'm like five years old in my head. So that was that for the case of Barbara Meckel. She won. She lost. What a, what a pointless life. What a pointless life he has lived. And what a hero she is. Like to just keep something in her head. Constantly keep herself reminding like she will get out of there. And she will go to spend Christmas again with her family. Some people just have coping mechanisms without even having the knowledge in true crime, and that is what truly fascinates me. Yeah. Like, how are you normal, and then, you know, you're also normal in dangerous real-life situations? Yeah, because they were normal in the first place, Maya. They're not like you, that will go fucking complete psycho and probably ruin, like, you know, your source of air in a, in a box. Let's, let's just get this out of your head. You have got it out of your system now. You covered girl in a box at the beginning of the podcast, and now you covered two other cases of girls in the boxes. Now, never again. Listen to me, bitch. If you, read, if you see an article... Sorry, I'm having a talk with myself. If you... <laughs> If you find an article in a newsletter that says girls in the boxes, don't read it. Don't open it. Stop doing it to yourself. Yeah, next month's ministers are going to be light. They're going to be chill. Don't worry about it. Don't worry. I had to get it out of my system. So I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you enjoyed this Friday. And I'll see you. I'll see you for the regs. I'll see you for the regs. For the regular episodes on Monday. <laughs> Lead a better life. Not for your CV. No, I would never say lead a better life just purely to put it on your CV. No, it's more so you can like live with yourself better and sleep at night. Yeah, <laughs> that part. And by doing that, you make the world a better place. One motive at a time. Bye, fuckers. <laughs>